Hello and welcome to Facing Race. I'm your host, Layla Schultz-Ames. Today I'm going to talk about veganism and communities of color. Stay tuned. Okay, so a lot of people know that I'm vegan and I guess it's a black person that might sound unusual to some, but the thing is it's actually not as crazy as you think because the vegan diet actually has taken off more and more these days in the african-american community so interestingly enough according to the pew research center survey eight percent of black americans identify as strict vegans compared to just three percent of the general population in the u.s and this actually mirrors a 2015 poll by the vegetarian research group that also found about 8% of black people are strict vegan compared to about 3.4% overall. So it's actually an interesting concept and it's an interesting thing to look at. And that's sort of why I wanted to touch on that today in today's episode and just kind of talk about veganism in the African-American community. So recently another poll came out by Gallup and it found that about 30% of non-white Americans had reduced their meat consumption the past year. Not That is not to say, essentially, not that they're becoming vegan or vegetarian, but they're reducing their meat consumption. So 31% of non-white Americans reduced their meat consumption in the past year compared to about 18% of white Americans. So we're definitely seeing a trend in communities of color, particularly African-American communities, of shifting the way we think about food and the way that we think about our health. And I think the trend is really sparking this new generation of vegan influencers. For example, there's an actress, her name is Tabitha Brown, and her she's getting a lot of attention she's actually going to be i guess getting her own cooking show she has vegan videos on tiktok and instagram in fact my friend colleen was the one who actually told me about her a couple months ago so she's a really really interesting uh actress as i said she's an activist she's african-american and she focuses a lot on healthy vegan food uh we also have been seeing i think the past couple of years there's kind of been an influx of established celebrities as well that are sort of turning to veganism like beyonce lizzo tennis star venus williams Uh, All of them have either gone vegan or they've tried veganism or they sort of advocate for more healthier veggie based uh, lifestyle. So there's definitely a lot of focus on that. In fact, speaking of Beyonce, I know that she had even partnered with a plant based meal delivery service and she made headlines a couple of years ago because she promised to give free tickets, I guess, to her and and Jay-Z's concerts. Uh, for fans who actually made the switch to veganism. So it's definitely becoming more more of a thing. Uh, so I guess the question is, so why has veganism become more popular with African Americans? Well, I, I think honestly, for many black vegans, I think the journey kind of begins with a quest for a healthier lifestyle. I think it's pretty well known that throughout history, and there's obviously different reasons for this, but throughout history, African-Americans have suffered at a higher rate uh, than than white Americans uh, when it comes to certain diseases and ailments. So African-Americans have a higher rate of hypertension, 
type 2 diabetes, obesity, and cancer more so than any other group. And in part, this is because oftentimes the black diet is on average, obviously I'm generalizing, but on average is higher in salt and fat and it's lower in fruits and vegetables. And this is something that's gone on for, for a long time. And certainly, you know, too, if we talk about socioeconomic factors, if we talk about poverty or living far from, from green groceries and easy access to to areas where you could buy organic food or things like that, that definitely plays a part. And then on the other hand, easy access to fast food uh, has made it, I think, harder for African-Americans to eat healthier. And a lot of times, you know, they are not, even if they want to be healthier, there's not always the opportunity and there's not always options for, for people of color to lead a healthier lifestyle. But again, I think we have been seeing a shift and we've also definitely seen, as I mentioned too, uh, with celebrities, uh, there's definitely been more of a, uh, I think it's become more, I don't want to say cool and trendy, but it's definitely become more, more of a thing. Um, and even not just, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce or Cardi B. I know Cardi B, for example, she was uh, in the process of launching her own vegan fashion line. So not just it's not just like entertainers and singers. There's also politicians as well uh, that are getting in the game. I know Cory Booker, who was New Jersey's first African-American U.S. senator. He's been vegetarian since the early 90s and he doesn't consume alcohol. He doesn't do any type of drugs and he switched to a 100% vegan diet. I think it was in, in 2014 or something like that. And he's a very strong supporter of vegan philosophy and he advocates for, for animal rights. So I think that we're starting to see this positive trend among people of color uh, that's kind of taking more responsibility for their health and realizing that you know, in order to to live longer, in order to have a healthier life, sort of making the necessary changes. So I think it's a, a, a step in the right direction. So I think I can't talk about veganism and, and African-Americans without obviously talking about my experiences as a vegan. And I think it's a, definitely an interesting thing as as a vegan of color. I mean, there's definitely I, I don't know a lot of black vegans. I've met a few and I have been to some really, really good restaurants, actually, that are run by by people of color, vegan restaurants that are run by people of color. Uh, so it's definitely something that I've seen. Uh, but for me as a vegan, I mean, obviously, growing up in Maine, there weren't uh, we, it's obvious, of course, there weren't a lot of people of color and there weren't a lot of vegans, period. So I never I never met a, a black vegan in Maine. But for me, my, my kind of journey, I guess, it started obviously in part to my, my family because I think a lot of that stuff starts at home. So I, at, in the beginning, we became vegetarian. Uh, so that is to say we were still eating eggs and, and dairy and all of that. And I think I was about four or five when my parents, well, mainly my mother, decided to uh, give up eating meat, uh, partially due to health reasons, but also just, yeah, ethically speaking. So I was vegetarian for, for the first, I would say, 
10 years. So from the age of about four or five until I was a teenager. And around that time, my mom decided to, to go vegan and basically gave up dairy and well, she was still eating some eggs because we had chickens at the time, but uh, mostly mostly vegan. And so it was something that I thought, okay, well, yeah, maybe I could do. I, I used to really like cheese, so I was sort of like, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. But I also found that I was lactose intolerant, which actually is something quite common in African-Americans. Uh, so that's actually another another positive thing uh, for going vegan for, for people of color because a lot of times uh, we aren't able to process dairy. So I, I would say that I went completely vegan probably in college. I think that would be... Yeah, I think that would be about the time when I decided to to be fully vegan. And I think for me, it was definitely something that that made me stick out. I mean, I I went to college, as I talked about, I, I went to the University of Maine. So I was still in Maine and I was already kind of, you know, considered weird as like this formerly homeschooled black uh, adopted and now vegan person. Um, so I think it was just another thing that made me kind of like super weird and quirky uh but I mean I you know I didn't really have a lot of of problems as as a vegan I mean when I was in college I I, there were other people as well Uh, I did have some friends that were on the scale of you know vegan vegetarian flexitarian pescetarian what have you and um so it wasn't as as crazy I guess you could say uh as you would think, but it definitely wasn't something that was 100% common. And then in my adult life, uh, after I left the university and I moved to to Boston, uh, yeah, I definitely, there were definitely more vegans than I did. Actually, that was probably, Boston was the first time I did meet uh, vegans of color, and uh, that was really exciting to see. And I think it's sort of what I talked about at the beginning of the episode, that the vegans of color that I met, a lot of it was because they are aware that often people of color, we do, we are at risk for a lot of diseases. And so by changing our diets and changing lifestyles, the the hope is to, you know, kind of cut down on that and, and be a bit healthier. So I would say, you know, definitely I have seen in the past uh, decade or so, I definitely have seen more, more changes when I, I lived in California for two years or a couple really, really amazing vegan restaurants in Oakland that were run by people of color. In fact, there's one I really liked that was a vegan soul food restaurant. And it was all kind of, you know, what you would consider traditional black black foods, but vegan versions. So like mac and cheese or grits and things like that. And and it was really good. So I think it's, you know, it's quite nice to see kind of that, that change and that shift. And certainly I think there are, there are still challenges uh, for, for people of color because a lot of times it is true that veganism or, or getting organic foods or things like that, it can be expensive. It can require a lot more planning. I mean, I love cooking, but it definitely some of the meals that I make it takes, you know, it takes a lot of time to make them. And sometimes people, particularly if they have families, they don't have an hour, an hour and a half to spend in the kitchen um, cooking. So, you know, that can be that can be a challenge or, you know, food deserts. A lot of times people 
not only people of color, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of times it is people of color in the U.S. They don't have access to the stores that they need or the food that they need or the produce or things like that. So I think that can be that can be a challenge. And sometimes that can really uh, cause communities of color to sort of not feel like veganism is uh, an option for them. So I think that's one thing. And I would say also, I think that sometimes people think that being vegan is just something that white people do or that it's kind of denying cultural identity in a sense. Uh, and, And it's true that for many cultures, meat tends to be a prominent ingredient. Uh, and this can make efforts to kind of reduce people's reliance on meat seem like an appropriation of ethnic recipes. Um, and I think to counteract this, I think it's important that trying to veganize ethnic recipes comes from people of that ethnicity compared to like white people trying to spread the good word and be like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to veganize everything. So I think that's kind of a a conversation. Um, You know, I think, for example, there are definitely differences between, let's say, a white-owned vegan soul food restaurant um, that pops up in Harlem compared to a black-owned version um, in Chicago's South Side. I think that sometimes it is true that certain uh, things can be kind of like trendy versus uh, when they're in a community of color and it's run by people of color, it's maybe seen as you, we're working to do this for the community and to to better the community. So. I think that is definitely a discussion, you know, is it's key to kind of remind people who talk about uh, sort of, you know, the trendiness of of veganism that uh, it's not it's not necessarily a trend that it should be kind of more, I think, a lasting a lasting thing. Uh, But I think, yeah, just kind of thinking about veganism and kind of that that conversation of like, oh, is it only for for white people, etc. I mean, I think. At the heart of it, it's something that can benefit a lot of people. I mean, I think a major tenet of veganism is kind of the focus on plant-based food. And of course, as as I said, for people who live in a food desert, a lot of times buying fruits and vegetables can be impossible. And so uh, that's that's definitely something that a lot of um, nonprofit organizations are trying to work on. And uh, I actually have read about a couple uh, nonprofits. There's groups like Growing Power, which is a nonprofit based in in Milwaukee, and also has a Chicago office as well. That basically works to bring gardening into vulnerable communities, and also engages residents in the growing and buying process. So a lot of these groups, they're always looking for volunteers, and they're looking for people that are not just vegan, but also just people that want to add, you know, more vegetables and kind of adopt a more healthy lifestyle. So I think I think that's really important because I think, you know, again, sometimes in even in 2020, I think when somebody says vegan, there's still kind of this image of like a skinny, like white girl that talks about like raw, all natural, all organic, like, you know, juicing or or what have you. And I think sometimes there's this narrative in the vegan movement that sort of, I don't want to say excludes people of color, but maybe doesn't do the best it can to include people of color. And I think also too, if you think about it, a lot of times, if you look at uh, magazines or conferences or 
or websites, a lot of times vegans of color are not really featured on there. So I, I think that sometimes people of color don't feel like they're welcome in the vegan community and they're not there's not really a I guess a place for them at times. So I think that's something yeah that maybe non uh people of color who are vegans can also, you know, do more of kind of including uh vegans of color in discussions and protests, community meetings, social justice, etc. um be- because ultimately everybody is is working for you know the the same goal which is a healthier lifestyle. Okay, so it's that time of the episode. It's time for Ask a Black Friend. Okay, so this week's question is not related to veganism, but it was it's actually an interesting question and one that uh one of my students actually, one of my my 12th grade students uh, at the school that I teach at asked me because we were discussing sort of like different controversial issues. And so, the, of course, a topic of, of education and different things came up and we were talking about police brutality. And so one of my students said, in my opinion, what is the what is the most what's the biggest issue that affects african americans and and communities of color in my opinion which is kind of a hard it's an interesting question but it's a hard question to answer because of course there are a lot of different factors and there's a lot of different issues but if i had if i had to pick one if I had to focus on one, I would say uh, the lack of educational opportunities. That would be educational inequality, I think, is probably at the top of the list in terms of issues that really affect communities of color. And obviously, as a teacher, maybe I'm a little bit biased in the sense of, you know, me feeling that education is is a huge, huge thing. And it's something that's really important for society. But I think that there's really something to that. So unfortunately for for a lot of people, unfortunately for a lot of students that are in communities of color, they don't have access to quality education. And they don't have access the same way that maybe their their white peers do. And I think that that really affects people in the long term. And I think that really can uh, be some of the reasons why uh, they're not able to get certain jobs, they're not able to go to certain universities. I think that it has a, a pretty big, big effect. So, I mean, if we think about it, if we think about education, I think if we look back at, at education, um, I think it's probably fair to say that the U.S. education system is one of the most unequal in the industrialized world. And I think students routinely receive dramatically different learning opportunities based on their social status. I think in in contrast to European and and also Asian nations as well that fund schools centrally and and a lot more equally, the wealthiest 10% of U.S. school districts spend nearly 10 times more than the poorest 10%. 
and spending ratios of, of three to one are pretty common within states. So despite stark differences in funding, teacher quality, curriculum class sizes, I think that sometimes the prevailing view is that if students do not achieve, it's their own fault because they didn't try, they didn't work hard enough, they didn't put enough effort. And I think if we ever sort of want to get beyond the problems of the color line and the the problems that we have with race, I think we have to kind of confront and look at the educational issues. And obviously I've done done some um, episodes about education equality, but I think it's important to the the Americans, you know, we I think sometimes we forget that as late as the 1960s, most African-Americans, Latinos, Native American students were educated in completely segregated schools and they were funded at rates many, many, many times lower than those serving whites. And they were also excluded from a lot of highly uh, higher education institutes. So I think even... Even that, you know, the 60s, it really wasn't that long ago. I mean, the end of legal segregation uh, happened really in the in the 70s. Um, but even so, I mean, even when that ended, there's still a lot of educational experiences for minority students that have really continued to be separate and unequal. So two-thirds of minority students still attend schools that are predominantly minority. And most of them are located in central cities and they're funded well below those in neighboring suburban districts. So they've done a lot of uh, studies and they've done a lot of surveys and they've looked at cases of data from schools in Alabama, New Jersey, New York, and Texas, Louisiana. And they found that on nearly every single tangible measure from qualified teachers to curriculum offerings, that students serving a greater number of students of color have significantly fewer resources than students serving mostly white students. So I think that education is not the be-all, end-all, but I think if we fund education equally, if we give students of color and students in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas more resources and better teachers, that will in turn allow them to get into schools, to uh, study in, in institutions that they want to study in, to pursue careers that they want to pursue. And that in turn will help them to get the jobs that they want and uh, hopefully a higher income and a, a better uh, better life. So I think that, again, education is not the be-all and all, but I think uh, the lack of education and lack of educational opportunities is definitely something that really, really, really hurts communities of color. So um, for some resources for people of color interested in exploring vegetarianism or veganism, there's actually a number of great resources to get started or really just for, for people that are interested in learning more. So there's one called the Food Empowerment Project, which is basically a nonprofit focused on food empowerment empowerment and um, different intersections of ethical eating, including abuse towards animals and workers' rights. There's also um, an African-American vegan starter guide that is really specifically for African-Americans interested in veganism. And then there's also uh, something called the Sista Vegan Project, which is a blog exploring ethical food practices through intersectional feminist perspectives. So there's a lot of great resources uh, and information as well. And there's some other websites and things like that. So 
definitely a lot of a lot of really good options so yeah to end the just to end this episode uh there's one quote that i liked from wagari matai uh that uh, was basically this it just says there are opportunities even in the most difficult moments. So I think that's true. It's like sometimes things are easy, some things are are challenging, but there's always, you know, opportunities, whether it's to learn or to change or improve or, or what have you. There's always there's always moments, even in difficult times. So that's that's all for this week. Thanks for joining and I hope to see you all next week.